The presenting sponsor of this season of Wild Ideas Worth Living is Subaru. One thing I just learned that I thought was very cool is Subaru is donating 50 million meals to help feed people in need during the COVID-19 crisis. They know this pandemic is devastating our country and has left hundreds of thousands out of work and unable to feed themselves or their families. Through the Subaru Love Promise, a commitment to support their communities, Subaru and their retailers across the country are making a donation to provide 50 million meals to Feeding America. This action, called Subaru Loves to Help, will make meals available at 199 local food banks across the country. In addition, Subaru retailers will be doing other things to help these local food banks, including food deliveries, donations, and volunteer events. Subaru knows their ongoing support will be necessary as local communities work to get back on their feet. Subaru loves to help. Just one part of the Subaru love promise. One more reason that makes Subaru more than a car company. If you're a dog owner, you're probably especially thankful to have your companion by your side during these days of the COVID-19 pandemic. Dogs force you to get outside a few times a day. They likely do some cute things that make you laugh. And their company and unconditional love is reassuring and comforting. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. Today's guest, photographer Ben Moon, especially knows the true power of a canine friend. Ben's recent book, Denali, tells the story of his friendship with his dog, Denali, who lived on the road with him, went on adventures with him, and helped Ben face his own battle with colorectal cancer at the young age of 29. Today on the podcast, Ben shares his story, the story about him, the story about Denali, the story about writing his book about his dog, and he also shares how dogs can provide us comfort during stressful times, and he even has a couple of training tips for dog owners. Ben Moon, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Hi, Shelby. Thanks for having me. I'm really sad that we can't surf in person right now, but I'm enjoying watching you in this like beautiful wood room in Oregon. Where are you? I'm in my camper van parked outside the house oh. I'm building. So that's the quietest place I have right now. That's so awesome that you're in your camper van. It looked like you're in like a studio or a sauna. Well, this is where I wrote the book. And this is also where I do work right now. So... Okay, so I want to talk about the book. I mean, your story is amazing. So I read your book, Denali. We talked a little bit about it in the intro. I'm just, you know, this this podcast, I really want to focus on how having a pet, especially a dog, can help you during a stressful time. So before we get into Denali, I'm just curious, like, how, how are you doing right now? And how's your current dog, Nori, helping you right now? Yeah, Nori's passed out just a couple of feet from me right now, up on the bed. And it's honestly, when this first all went down in March and, you know, we had those two weeks that felt like seven years, it was incredible to have, you know, a dog to be there and also just uh, dog hugs, man. I'm telling you. Dog hugs. <laughs> dog hugs are the best. <laughs> so Dog hugs are the best. What kind of dog is Nori? She's, she was a feral street dog from the Central Valley of California. And I had her DNA tested and she's many things, uh, white Swiss shepherd, a couple like Australian cattle dog, um, Australian shepherd, husky Malamute lab and wolf, I think, I think was the other component. So she's got a lot of things, but she's just, she's just a really incredible 
grounded being she's very independent but also is just loves people and loves my friends and it's also just you know there's the dogs that are healer dogs that always want to be there for everybody she's just very sensitive and knows when people need her and it's incredible just to witness and i've witnessed that in a lot of different scenarios whether in friend groups or in in the like ceremonial like plant medicine things like there's it's gone it's like you're talking i'm talking across the spectrum she sounds really cool i mean the fact that you just said the word dog hugs it just made me feel like like my my husband just came over with a bunch of warm sheets from the dryer and put it on top of me and that's like one of those feelings that just feels so good but a dog hug like that's like besides a baby hug like those are the those are like the best feelings ever yeah i I agree. There, there's, there's uh, no strings attached. That's the best part about a dog hug. So let's go back to Denali. Like, how did Denali come into your life? And maybe just give us a little background about what happened in your life at that time. Yeah, I mean, I was living in. I just moved out to Portland um, from Michigan. I grew up in the Great Lakes. Um, Lake Michigan felt like my first ocean, and I had only been in Oregon for. I don't know, maybe nine or 10 months, but I had been really seriously interested in having a dog. And I got convinced by my ex to go to the shelter and I didn't want to have a dog in the city. I just was really opposed to it. And how old were you? 24, 24 years old. Yeah. I was just a pup. <laughs> you were just a pup yourself. You go to the shelter. I did. I basically said, I will go, but I don't want to bring a dog home because I want to wait till, because we were planning to move to Bend and I wanted to just, be in a place that was prioritized, you know, being outside and Portland just, it was a really weird year in the city. And it was also one of the gloomiest years. And, you know, I feel like in the last 20 years, the weather up here has changed immensely. Um, and it was just really gloomy back then. And it was in the, you know, middle of winter. So just darker everywhere. So I just had my blinders on. And when I, when I met Denali, he was just this adorable pup and kind of just, made me take him home. There was no choice involved. So so he sort of found you. I think a lot of dog owners say that about their dogs, which is really cool. People are like, how do you know if, if they're the right dog? And it's like, it's kind of like meeting the love of your life. You, you know, it's like, you know, deep down that that dog's for you. It's not like, a, oh, I think I might think this dog's cute and they could be. You don't want to have to justify a dog adoption. You're going to know. So. That's totally true. So what comfort has Denali brought you over the years? I know you had some stressful times back then. I mean, with the divorce young. Yeah. I mean, that's what really started. Denali was just kind of my anchor and rock during that. Cause I didn't really know how to express verbally what I was going through. And, you know, being 25 years old, most of my friends didn't, you know, didn't have the capacity to be there also. And, I didn't have the male friendships that had the depth that I do now. And, and so Denali I really was the one who could be there for me when I was going through all that, you know, cause eventually your friends just get tired of you talking about all the same stuff. And so, and then when I moved to into my first into my Subaru for almost a year and then bought a camper van, I was over in Bend sleeping in the Metolius parking lot and out by Smith Rock um, at the climbing area or at some of the free camping out there that was kind of where kind of rebuilt my life in a lot of ways. And around that time is when I, well, right before the breakup happened, I had bought a camera. And so it was kind of like my creative career and this big, you know, cataclysmic event in my life happened about 
they happen simultaneously a lot in a lot of ways. I had no idea that I was going to be a photographer at all. That's so wild. I'm curious, do you have a passage in your book that you like reading? There's one that I was reading it during the book tour. And then when all this uh, coronavirus stuff happened, it seemed very, very appropriate. And you want me to read that? Yeah, that would be awesome. So this is basically, I've been diagnosed with colorectal cancer. I had had a lot of news about what I was going to have to have surgery wise, and I was not happy about it. So I got a second opinion in Portland. And afterwards, I immediately drove to the coast because I wanted to be in the ocean. And it was really cold, uh, but I just was in my board shorts and didn't care. How old were you? Um, I just turned 29. So um, I first had symptoms when I was 27, though. So that's definitely something that I would want to share with others. That if you have symptoms, even if you're young, be get checked out, please. Okay, this is after I dove into the ocean. My pace slowed as the currents tugged at my waist, and I dove into the icy 50-degree water. Coming up refreshed, I realized Denali was still beside me, swimming determinedly, since by now... It was much too deep for him to stand. Skin tingling from the cold baptism, I stood still, staring at the glowing horizon, my despair slowly shifting to a sense of determination. A set of swollen waves appeared before us, and I saw Denali's eyes widen with the realization that he was outside his comfort zone. As the first wave neared, he spun and began swimming frantically toward the shore. He was driven by fear and yet in perfect sync with the wave, and as it caught him, he somehow slid down its face with the grace of a porpoise, the glassy surface continuing onward, pushing him along before releasing him in the shallows. I laughed out loud at the joy of seeing my pup catch his first wave and realized that there was a lesson in this. We're powerless to fight the unexpected swells in life, and there are times when the only choice is to let go of the perception that we're in control and simply allow the wave to carry us through. I remember reading that you know, week two of this whole thing. And it was so, it was really important to me too. That's so interesting. I'm glad you picked that part to read. Thank you. Well, I feel like we always think we're in control and, you know, in, in everyday life, we kind of try to control as much as we can in our routines and, you know, just in everything we do. And then we think there's always this false sense of security and we take things for granted. And, but when something like this hits, we realize that um, we're just little specks in the universe that have no real control. And it's amazing that it works sometimes and how, you know, <laughs> culturally in society just actually works so well most of the time. You know, what's really interesting is before you started reading this, you, you said, Hey, get checked out. And I think it's really interesting because you were friends with a friend of mine, Tate McDowell, who also had colorectal cancer and he was on the podcast. And unfortunately he passed and I'm just really grateful that you've brought awareness to that because I remember even when you posted that picture on Instagram, I was like, who's this hottie with a colostomy bag and um, you were rock climbing. And I was like, this is so cool. I've never met a guy in the outdoor industry that seems like this vulnerable. I know we're off topic. but No, it's like, this is really important to me. And honestly, you know, seeing Tate go through what he went through, um, he reached out to me through mutual friends at Patagonia um, when he was first, you know, told he would have to have a colostomy bag. And he always joked that I was his still mentor. Like he, I, I, I taught him how to just manage, you know, having those changes to your body and at that age. And we had a lot of similar interests and it was really interesting to just the emotional part of going through 
knowing that he and I were diagnosed at the exact same stage and then his came back and, you know, it's hard not to have survivor guilt um, when he passed, but it really motivated me to finish the book um, because I had lost two friends before that. Both were women and both were under the age of 34. And one I had met at a film festival, another I'd met through a mutual friend. And, you know, both times I was like, you guys are going to be fine. It's going to be great. And I remember seeing Tate the summer before and we were able to hang out. And, you know, I knew he was still fighting some things, but I thought he was going to pull through. And it's just the sad thing is in our medical system, it's really challenging to actually get a colonoscopy if you're younger. And that's the easiest way to diagnose, to find precancerous polyps, to, you know, it's a day of prep and it's not, that part's not that fun, but it, honestly, it's a pretty easy procedure that can save your life. And so if you have any doubt, just get checked out and it's, it could save your life. And if you know anybody who's dragging their feet, just get them into the doctor. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, Tate actually said I should interview you. So that's pretty cool that we're finally getting to interview, even though it's not in person. I love the outdoors, but on my outdoor adventures, I like to keep my load light. That's why I love the Trail Series water bottle from Hydro Flask. It's the same look and feel you know and love from Hydro Flask, but it's 25% lighter. And lighter doesn't mean your ice will melt or your coffee will get lukewarm. The double wall vacuum insulation protects the temperature for hours. Add in the lightweight leak-proof cap and you've found yourself the dream water bottle. Find out more about Hydro Flask and their Trail Series water bottle at hydroflask.com forward slash wild ideas. That's hydroflask.com forward slash wild ideas. Stay hydrated and stay happy. You've been through a lot. Like you've been through divorce. Then you got this awesome dog, Denali. And we're living out of your Subaru Outback. And then you had cancer. So talk to me about how dogs in general, especially your dog, can really help you during stressful times, scary times. I think the one thing about dogs that is unique to our relationship with them compared to human relationships is they just, they're just absolutely there for you. And there's not all these boundaries or strings, you know, with human relationships, there's always baggage and we, you know, it's always this kind of like game we play. If, you know, it's obviously a really healthy relationship, you can stay out of that, but it, there's just always these calculations that we make in human interactions and, and dogs don't care about all that stuff. They're just here for us. And so going through cancer, you know, I didn't have the energy for human interactions. A lot of times it was just conversations were exhausting and it wasn't the cancer that was making me that exhausted it was the treatment you know the chemo and radiation and a lot of the surgeries and so especially during the really heavy doses of chemo you know i i could it was just existing and so having denali there for me just made me feel like at least somebody had my back and you know energetically i could still feel all the friends that were there for me but i didn't want anybody to you know caretake me and i didn't have a partner at the time and so it was a, a really unusual kind of you know I was in my late 20s so I felt strong enough to you know drive myself to treatments but you know it was always this kind of barely hanging on sort of feeling but Denali was like he was my anchor during all that time I don't feel like they have like an ego no 
They just want to play and love you no matter what. And I think one of the things you say in your book is you talk a lot about unconditional love. So what do you think of all these shelters right now that are empty? Like people are adopting dogs right now, which is so cool. I think it's, you know, people always ask me why Nori is such a good dog and why Don Ollie was such a great dog. And honestly, it's it's the time you spend with them. And so the cool thing about all these dogs getting adopted is people are getting to spend every moment with them. And that's when those relationships are formed. You can truly train a dog. They don't get all the anxiety. They, you know, there's a lot of real quality time that can be spent, especially if, you know, you train them well. And I mean, Nori, yesterday, my friend wanted to take Nori for a run and she's like, Hey, do you have a leash around? And I literally couldn't find a leash because she hadn't been on a leash in like two months. (laughs) So, so, I mean, she's just always right there, you know? It's so funny. Everybody, I live in a condo complex and everybody pretty much has a dog. We're not allowed to have one in ours, but somehow everybody else is, but they are just the happiest they've ever been. All the dogs. Because their owners are home all day with them. It's really cool. I think we should talk a little bit more about your book because it's a really big deal to write a book. First, you did a movie about Denali that went gangbusters, viral, like 2 million views in a day. Damn, Ben, good job. But then you decided to write a book about it. And writing a book is like, writing a movie is a beast, but writing a book is a whole other beast. So maybe tell me about those processes and why you decided to do it. I mean, the film was kind of something that we ended up filming right before he passed and you know we had that footage and it took a year and a half to put that together and you know skip armstrong who filmed a lot of it and my friend Paige, and then ben knight that, that was really a collaborative effort to put that all together and it took time and you know i'm I'm so grateful for ben who really made that story shine and you know telling that story and getting it out there to the world it was it was the first time i'd really had my life be public at all you know like being a photographer for patagonia catalogs you know you're just the caption you know you're not nobody really knows who you are pre-social media there wasn't there wasn't this face that came along with photography you know it was a really kind of a private affair and so the film when it had eight million views in a week or whatever and you know everybody was calling and then oprah put it on super soul sunday and it was no big a deal lot. just opes <laughs> I know having her like share the film was like, well, life goal. Um, just got to get her the book now. Somebody know her, get her the book, please. So when all that happened and the film went crazy online, I kind of went inward because all of a sudden all this, it wasn't that it was that much information. It was just, I had nobody really knew my life details outside of the outdoor community. And it was just a, getting thousands and thousands of emails and direct messages and media outlets wanting to know more about the story. It was, it was interesting. You know, I'm a little bit of an introverted private person at heart, even though I I love people. So I kind of had some chatter about maybe going deeper into the story. And, but I realized because there's something universal about, friendship with a dog and going through struggle and the story really wasn't about me it was about you know it was it was universal in the way that it's about friendship and love and loss and 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 grieving and i realized that if i could tell my story and go deeper and actually touch on all those themes that i did in the book um a lot of people think they're just getting a reboot of the denali film which then they they get a big surprise so i i go a lot deeper and 
And so I just wanted to make sure if I was going to write the book that I, there was a purpose for it and that could be helpful to others. And, you know, anybody going through struggle or cancer or, you know, dealing with anxiety and depression or just feeling alone in experiences, especially being a young cancer survivor. Um, I just wanted people to feel like somebody else had been there and was expressing what they felt and, or just, you know, what it's like to lose a dog. It's like hard to put that into words when they're there for you for so long. So writing a book wasn't something I'd ever intended to do. And it took me four years start to finish, which some say is a long time. Some say it's not, um, but it was definitely a very introspective process. But most of it I spent, you know, living here on the coast in Oregon in my van surfing and just writing. You had other jobs during that time. Yes. I also had to keep a photography career going and a film production company going. So it, and was planning and permitting a house. So there was a few things going on outside of that too. So was there one thing that was just really hard about the experience? I felt the hardest part, you know, was really writing about other people's experiences within the book, I wanted to make sure that it always came from my perspective and I wasn't putting words in somebody else's mouth or like, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, only the things that needed to be in there were in there. And so anytime there was a challenging experience, it was really hard to write about that stuff. And they say that, you know, trauma really just kind of lives within our psyche and our brain. And that, you know, like obviously writing about the cancer experience, that was pretty easy to write about other than the fact that chemo makes you forget a lot of stuff. It was, I had to kind of go back and revisit a lot of experiences and, you know, the divorce. And then the big wave incident that I wrote about was really easy to write about. That was the easiest thing. That chapter came out in an evening. That was the easiest. I barely changed anything on that because that was probably the most acute or, you know, compressed version of a life or death experience I'd ever gone through. Um, whereas cancer is a very prolonged um, battle you know, swimming through 50 foot waves is something that most people don't forget. But so it was, it was a up and down experience. Some things came out at the most random times. And, you know, I had a, a lot of voice memos, a lot of notes, a lot of dictated things that were just little anecdotes that I had to string together and somehow make into a book. It's really good book. What did you take away from it all? Um, I think when it was all, all the edits were wrapped up, I was, just ready to walk away and move on with my life. I was just like, okay, I just want to return to being social again and <laughs> feeling like I can say yes. So I thought I was done with it when the edits were done. And then my publisher called and was like, oh, you're reading this for the audiobook." And, and I, I was not really, I had agreed to that earlier, but I wasn't really prepared for that. And so I had, it was very cathartic though. And you know, reliving the whole experience all over again. Cause I hadn't actually read it start to finish. I just, you know, edited pieces um, and wrote pieces. And so that was an incredibly nerve wracking and stressful, but also, like I said, cathartic um, experience. And then when it finally was published, I I felt like I had about a three or four month vulner vulnerability hangover. I'm still just kind of coming out of that. But, you know, before this pandemic hit, already people were really responding to the story and telling me how they'd related to it in deep ways and a lot of surprising ways. And so once I had a few of those letters, I felt like it was worth it. I just, I, the whole goal, the whole time I was writing the book was like, if I could help one person with something they're going through, it'll be worth it. And 
those are really touching messages. And then when all this, the most recent stuff hit, it was suddenly it felt a lot more relevant because really what the book was about is getting through times of struggle and crisis and just some, when, when things are very uncertain and you don't know which way to go, just to, you know, keep going and not give up. I was going to ask you for more advice, like keep going, don't give up. Anything else you've learned? I mean, you've been through a lot and we're all kind of going through something. I feel like what, you know, facing a cancer diagnosis and the uncertainty of that and not knowing if you're going to make it or not. And just, you really can only focus on that moment and that day. And if you look at the big picture and all the things you have left, all the rounds of chemo you have left, every, all the, you know, all the facts and figures and numbers that are getting thrown at us right now with this pandemic, that will just crush you. And so you have to just focus on what you can do right now. And there's been so many days, especially early on in this, in March, when this was all first starting going down, I, I would be on the news and I just, I like to understand things. And so I was like researching, you know, go reading a lot of articles and journals and trying to figure out what was actually happening and, you know, going down these Twitter rabbit holes and just trying to understand what was happening. And there were times I just felt completely paralyzed with anxiety. And, but if I would just get outside, go for a walk, which is what dogs are wonderful for because they're like, let's get out of this van, especially <laughs> uh, Nori would make me go to the beach with her. And that just even seeing the sky or just feeling the wind, you know, looking at the ocean just made me feel a hundred percent better. And so really, and that's what, while I was going through all the chemo and stuff, I couldn't, I didn't have the physical capacity to, you know, climb my best and, you know, do all the things I could do prior. But if I just went to the cliff and hung out, you know, with all my climbing partners and just those around friends, it helped a lot. And, and so right now, you know, we're not supposed to be in person together as much, but you know, the wonderful thing has been everybody calls each other and, you know, getting a random FaceTime or a random call from somebody you haven't talked to in forever just feels so good. And, and, you know, we all need that right now. If you're thinking about somebody, call them because they probably need to hear from you. It's good advice. So how did, how did Nori help you write the book? You know, I felt after the Denali film went crazy online, you know, he had been gone for a couple of years at that point. And I'd started to doubt that it could have been really that good. You know, it's just like you have, it just felt like, you know, here's all this hype around the film. Was it really as special as that was? And and then when I got Nori and started remembering all those experiences and I had all those feelings come all, they just all came flooding back. And as she kind of came into her own and started, you know, grew into a full, full grown dog and our friendship grew, I just, I realized that it was all very real and even more real than I'd remembered. Cause Denali was my first real dog that was mine, you know, like that was, I had raised from a pup. And so you know, you kind of take things for granted. It's like being in the best relationship or best friendship. You just don't realize what you have until it's gone. And, and so Nori really reminded me of all that and she helped immensely in that way. Yeah. She, she seems like an awesome, and I just love her name with so many meanings. So any advice to dog owners out there that, that you've used over the years like during this time? I mean, you're, you're, you're like this, you're, you're not the dog whisperer, but you kind of are. Yeah, I mean, I do love dogs and it, you know, I, I think as far as, you know, the more time you can spend with your dog, the better, 
I personally, as you know, I, I never have hired a dog trainer, but I, with Denali and with Nori, I never really used treats or anything like that. Occasionally, maybe, but I really wanted everything to come from a place of like, they really, you know, it's more of, you know, give a lot of love and attention. So, if, if, you know, instead of my reward is, you know, I, I usually like wouldn't squat down and just like get really excited and give her a hug or like, you know, pet her, you know, give her, love her up instead of being like, here's a treat, here's a treat because otherwise they're, otherwise they're just always looking in your pockets and your hands for treats. And I personally just don't like having dog treats in my hands or pockets all the time. And so and the other thing is, you know, a lot of people will just keep calling and, trying to say a thing over and over and over to a dog and I, f- I feel like you have to say it once and and mean it and so it just, it's like learning how to have them respond in the first time you say something and and that doesn't mean being really firm or cruel or harsh with them it just means just you know trying to be aware when you're repeating something and have them listen the first time um, especially if it, if there's a danger involved you know nori's not on leash a lot of times so if there's a car coming i need her to be at my side immediately when i say it and she knows that tone of voice and so she will like you know stop what she's doing and and listen that's like a good parenting advice too it sounds like <laughs> yeah. yeah you have to mean it i mean it's like anything if someone if someone keeps telling you in a in a relationship if somebody keeps someone telling you something and then they don't really mean it you stop trusting them you stop believing them you know and so follow through is huge so everybody can watch the movie denali you can buy denali anywhere you buy books but what's next for you honestly i just want to f- finish this house i'm building i have a home here on the oregon coast and a you know a, a little production studio that i'm building and i just really excited to have a space to share um, i've been in the van for two and a half years so i'm excited to have a little more indoor space but really with the book and the house, it just took a lot of creative energy. And the last few years, I've been working with a company called Rivian. That's a new electric truck company. They're incredible, an incredible company. And just, it's been really fun to create content for them. So I'm excited that a lot of my creative brain can come back online in other ways and work on a lot of projects that I've kind of had, you know, in the back of my mind, but haven't had the time to pursue. You know, I'm really, really excited to, there's a lot of, projects surrounding my portraiture and with um, some short films some storytelling that I just can't wait to dive into. So, Ben, it has been a joy to meet you and talk to you. So I totally appreciate it. Thanks for sharing about Nori, about Denali, about your work. And I think we could all use some of the advice you give at this time and we could all use dog hugs. Dog hugs are the best. So if you know someone with a dog and you don't have a dog, just go get one of those hugs because you won't regret it. Ben's path as a creative wasn't linear and definitely wasn't easy, but tapping into his personal stories and challenges has allowed him to share in a really vulnerable, authentic way that's impactful. And his story has clearly resonated with a lot of people. It doesn't hurt that lots of his stories involve sweet dogs. So if you need some comfort these days, try spending some quality time with your pup and see if you can finagle a dog hug out of them. Thank you so much to Ben for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. To see Ben's work, go to benmoon.com and follow his adventures with his new pup, Nori, on Instagram at ben underscore moon. If you haven't read the book or seen the short film Denali, please do so. Both are incredibly touching and inspiring. Lastly, Ben has a new short film out called The Lucky Ones. 
It's about being a photographer and his journey with cancer. You can find the links to all these things I just mentioned in the show notes on rei.com forward slash wild ideas worth living or in the description wherever you're listening to this show. Special shout out to my mom's dogs, Teddy and Coco, who I got to visit this weekend. I just love dogs. And so give your dog a big hug from me as well right now. As restrictions are being lifted in the COVID-19 pandemic, I just wanted to thank all of you who are hanging in there and doing your best to stay safe and stay home. To all the service workers, grocery store workers, healthcare professionals, drivers, delivery trucks, law enforcement, parents, teachers, to all of you for doing your part. Yes, you listening to this show. We're in this together. We still got a ways to go. So thank you. I hope you're all staying safe and hanging in there. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler, and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motila and Joe Crosby, and our presenting sponsor is Subaru. As always, I love it when you subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you listen. We read every single review, and if you make us laugh, that means even more. Sending you all giant hugs and dog hugs, And remember, right now, the best way to live wildly is by staying safe.